Okay, let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever you have your Bible on. Let's make our prayer declaration together. Say this with me. This is my Bible. God's holy word. This book is alive and is powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all that says I can do. I can be all that says I can be. And I can have all that says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me just say I'm so glad you guys are all here this morning, and uh, we want to talk on, a, uh, on the love of God this morning. You know, the Bible is full of what I would call stories of people looking for love, and usually how it didn't turn out well at first because they left God out of the picture. And uh, then, here's the good news, Jesus shows up and heals their wounded hearts. And uh, for instance, I won't, I won't go to the story there, but you could look this up in John chapter 4. There's the story of a woman called the Samaritan woman. She's been married five times, and the one she's with in the story, she's just living with them or with him. And I totally get it. I mean, uh, I understand her choice not to marry the sixth guy. If it didn't work out five times, why well, try it a sixth time? And my point is this. Just like back then, uh, she gave up on love. She gave up on marriage. We're facing the same epidemic today, and it hasn't changed. Uh, when love gets hard, people usually walk out or they run away from it. There's another story in John chapter 8 where a woman is caught in adultery. So they bring her to Jesus and try to get him to say something they can use against him later. So Jesus bends down and begins to write in the dirt. And as he writes, I think what he did is I think he began to write names of women they'd been with. I mean, think about it. So he writes down uh, Sally. He writes down Geneva. He writes down Joan. And the next thing he does is he stands up and says, whichever one of you is without sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. And can you see those guys standing there looking going, oh, no, he knows. (laughs) Come on now. Come on now. And so... Uh, that's all he says, and then he stoops back down and starts writing in the dirt again. I think he was writing more names. And what happened next was all the accusers began to walk away, one by one, until the woman and Jesus were left there, uh, still standing there. And then Jesus asked her, where are your accusers? Is there no one left to condemn you? And uh, she said, no one, sir. I I just, I want to say this this morning. Some of you need to know there's no one left to condemn you. Come on. There's no one here to say what your sin has been or whatever. So Jesus said then, 
neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. A lot of us, whether male or female, uh, come from hurts and betrayals in our relationships just like these ladies did. But here's the good news, and you can write this down on your notes. God can restore uh, what has been broken. There's nothing too broken that God can't fix. So one of the problems we have in our world today is no one knows what truth is, and the reason so many things are broken is because we've adopted our cultural definition of love. That means Hollywood has defined love. That means all of our love songs have defined love. And uh, I think it's about time that we let the one who, uh, who designed love uh, relationships define us. So you can write that down. Let the one, it's time we let the one who designed relationships define relationships. So today, we're going to start this series by giving uh, the biblical definition of love and you can write it down. And I hope you'll remember this when you leave today. Real love is unconditional. Real love is unconditional. And what God is calling the church to is a higher relationship of love with everybody. With everybody. Not just the people you love. I don't know about you. Have you found it hard to love the people you're supposed to love? I told my wife yesterday, if you would just love me the way you're supposed to, it would be a lot easier. And by that, I mean, if you would just love me when I tell you to love me, the way I tell you to love me, life would be very good. But uh, she doesn't do that the way she should. (laughs) And then, how about this? But we are called to even love the people that the world would call and we would call, we would call them our enemies. Hmm. The Bible says, love your enemies, pray for your enemies, bless your enemies. Truth is, we rarely see the people who claim to be Christians love the people they're supposed to love, much less our enemies. Okay? So what happens to to most of us is we forget to do that uh, or we don't want to do that. Now, I want to read to you then uh, this morning from 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter of the Bible. I'm asked periodically to read these verses at weddings. How many know it's a lot easier to read about love before you're married? (laughs) I get people in my office and they're all Google-eyed, or not Google, (laughs) but googly-eyed kind of thing. That's what I wanted, yes. And they're all excited and full of love, and then, then they get married. And then I have to remind them of these verses, all right? 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. That means it does not remove the value of another person. It doesn't remove their value. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. 
It keeps no record of wrongs. Yeah, that's what, I, I, believe me, I, I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning. Um, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. <clears throat> how many, how many, don't raise your hand on this one, but there's something inside of you that when, when something happens to somebody that was not nice to you and it's something negative, something inside you kind of goes, yes. Shouldn't be that way, all right? Keeps, shouldn't rejoice when something evil happens. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But here's the thing. It even takes it a step further, which I do not like. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Let love be your greatest aim. Now, I don't know about you, but that's hard to make love your greatest aim. Now, there's a a company called the Lotus Post. It's an empowerment community type group. And uh, so they took a group of 100 professionals that were trying to define what love is and decided the best place to go was to a group of people who had not yet been tainted by the world's love. So they went to a group of four to eight-year-olds, and this is what they found. And these are profound, I think, all right? So what is love? It'll be on the screen. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That is love. Come on. Come on. Then that, I mean, that should inspire you, just that alone. I'm thinking, huh, would I do that for Lois? And would Lois do that? I don't think Lois would let me. She'd, she wouldn't trust me. <laughs> okay, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know your name is safe in their mouth. I don't know about that one either. I've heard the way Lois says my name sometimes, and it doesn't. Okay. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and the boy puts shaving cologne on, and they go out and smell each other. So just turn to the person next to you and take a whiff. Take a little smell there. Getting a little closer. All right, here we go. Love is when you go out and eat and you give someone most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. Come on. I don't know. My kids just used to take my french fries like I owed it to them, you know. Love is what makes you smile when you are tired. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. So unselfish. Love is when you kiss all the time. Then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and you talk more. My mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross when they kiss. Okay, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. 
Come on. Aren't these good? If you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend you hate. Come on now. Come on now. At six, she's probably already had experience at that. Love is when you tell a guy you like a shirt and then he wears it every day. Some of you, some of you ladies know we love you as our wives. You told us once and we've been wearing it for 20 years. <clears throat> My mommy loves me more than anybody. You don't see anyone else kissing me to sleep every night. Yeah, that's one for the moms. Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you have left him home all alone all day. And I told this in the first service. I heard this years ago, but I heard if you want to know if your spouse or your dog love you more, lock them both in the trunk, <laughs> walk away for an hour, come back and see which one's more happy to see you. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't try that. <laughs> Love is when your mommy sees your daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. Yeah. I'm not even going to go there. Okay. Uh, last one. You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, say it a lot because people forget. Uh, there was a contest trying to find out the most caring child in America, and they landed on a little four-year-old boy. Uh, he won because his mother told this story about him, uh, who, how he went next door to see an elderly man who had just lost his wife of 50-plus years. When he got back, the mom said, Honey, what did you say to, the, to our neighbor? And he said, Nothing. I just helped him cry. I know, aren't these good? If I could just live like I'm preaching, you know, it would be good. <clears throat> you know, our theme this year is being with Jesus. And if we really want to be with Jesus, we need to follow the life that he led us to live. And uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 23 through 24. He said, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, so you're here in worship, and uh, there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave church, is what it's saying. Leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come back to church and offer some more. That's what it's saying. I like the way First uh, John puts it. In chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister, is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. That's amazing. You know, Jesus was once asked by a religious person, and I say religious because religious people know how to keep rules, but they don't know relationship. And uh, being a Christian is all about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So this uh, religious uh, expert in the law, an attorney, 
comes to test Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. And it says this. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was saying this. Basically, if you'll spend time with me, you'll start loving like me. He was saying, if you've received my love, you'll begin to understand my love. And as you begin to understand my love, you'll be transformed by my love. And Jesus is what he's saying then is you'll begin to love the Lord with all your heart, with, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Just spend time with Jesus. It's not that complicated, but it is hard. This is why we want to start you in fresh start classes and equip classes. We want to start you on a foundation of being in love with Jesus. That's what we want to be about. We're not here to keep rules. We're not here to be religious. We're here to let you know this is why Jesus Christ came and died for you. We use the, the acronym KFDM. And the K stands for know Christ. We're not talking about know here, but know him here. Know him in your heart. There's nothing like it. So as you get to know him, you fall in love with him, and then you find freedom through the power of the Holy Spirit. You discover your purpose, and then you make a difference with your life. Now, uh, what I want with all my heart is for our church to go forward and say, I'm going to learn to spend time with Jesus so I can fall in love with Jesus and look like Jesus and be uh, 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 like a a magnet to other people. And Jesus says this, but I don't want you to know that's where it ends. It's not just spending time with me and falling in love with me. It has to follow up with the second part. And that is, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So you need to know your neighbor is everyone. You don't get to choose your neighbor. You don't get to choose your work co-workers. You don't get to choose your family. And you don't get to choose your neighborhood. You move in, it's a done deal. And what Jesus is doing is he's challenging everyone's limited cultural view of love. So in the New Testament, there are four different Greek words for the word love. And most people think they understand at least three of these and actually live by these three words culturally. So let me give them to you. The first word is a Greek word called storge. It means natural affection. It is like the love you would have for a mother, father, brother, or sister, and it's uh, actually a familial love, a family love. The second word is the word filio. It's the word where, uh, it's where we have friendship kind of love. This is where we get the name for the city Philadelphia, which means brotherly love or friendship love. It's, it's also can, how you can feel about Grace Harbor. Like, I love Grace Harbor. I have a, a, an affinity for Grace Harbor, okay? Uh, then there's Eros love, which is physical attraction. 
This is where we get the word erotic from. And this it is literally translated as the love of the body. So people can be in all three of these and they get excited about it. But how many know they don't last? There's one word now that I'm going to give you that should be on your notes that it's the only word that God uses for love. We don't. We don't even know how to use it. We don't even know how to live it out. So the first fourth word you can write down is the word agape. And it means unconditional love. This is the kind of love God showed you and me when he saved us. And my love is so conditional in so many ways and so many times. But God's saying, listen, he said this in Romans 5.8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I hope you get this. In other words, while you were still spitting, while you were still cursing, while you were still hating everybody else, God said, go ahead, drive the nails in. Doesn't matter. I'll die for you, no matter what. There's no strings attached to my love. You can write this down. Agape means an intentional and unconditional expression that chooses uh, to do uh, let's see here. I messed up here. That chooses to do something caring or helpful regardless of the cost or consequences to oneself. Let me read that again. An intentional, unconditional expression that chooses to do something caring or helpful regardless of the cost or consequence to oneself. That's God's kind of love. And we have made love like it's a, like it's a ditch. We, we fall into it. And I, I'm amazed. If you can fall into love, how come so many people fall out of love? We've made it so that it's just a feeling. And love is feelings. It does have feelings. But how many know there's a fine love between the feeling of love and the feeling of hate? It's very fine. So... Uh, love, uh, to me, uh, and my wife will say I didn't do this very often, but I did do it a few times. To me, love is changing the worst poopy diaper in the middle of the night, and your wife says to you, could you get up and change that? And you don't want to, but you do it. And then it takes a clothespin over your nose to be able to make sure you get the task done. Or same thing, the baby throwing up and you get up and clean up their throw up and try to keep yours from coming out while you're taking care of them. I said in the first service, I did this so many times. My wife just shook her head. The truth is she did many, many times. So you can write this down. Love is giving a person what they need not what they deserve. Right, come on. Jesus gave us a new commandment, and this is what he's saying to the church. John 13, uh, verse 34, a new command I give you, love or agape one another as I have agaped you. So you must love or agape one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love agape, one another. So, listen, 
I have enough time, hard enough time doing it God's way when I just look at certain conditions and different things. And when I come to certain times in my life, I'm just thinking, Lord, help me to do it the way you want me to. Now, this morning, uh, let me just say this too. If I'm having trouble with people, it might not be a people issue. It might be a God issue. And uh, I can say that because of this verse I'm going to read to you. 1 John 4, 7 through 8. It says, Dear friends, let us love agape one another. Did I read this already? No, I didn't. Nope, I didn't. I read one like it, though. Uh, Let us love one another, agape one another, for love, agape, comes from God. Everyone who loves agapes has been born of God and knows God. Now listen to these words. Whoever does not love agape uh, does not know God. And that is because, I want you to hear this before I read the last words. It's because oftentimes we're trying to love out of our own flesh and out of our own strength. Because, listen to what it says, he, uh, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. All you have to do is check your love thermometer. How much time have I been spending with God? How much time have I been in prayer and in the word and worshiping God? Well, I can go on and on about this, but I think one of the best ways to uh, settle today or to end today is for you to hear somebody who was like the woman, uh, the Samaritan woman, who actually was like the woman caught in adultery and uh, went through it all and got, came through on the other side. I want you to hear Becca's story today. Come up, uh, back and give her a big hand. Well, good morning. For those, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Becca. I think it's really hard to beat an introduction where, hey, remember that story in the Bible we just talked about, about the lady who was an adulteress? Let me introduce you to one in real life. That's a great, <laughs> it's a great in- introduction. But I will tell you, one of the, one of the things that I, uh, <laughs> gives me courage to be able to share my story and where I've been at is that I've been at the space where I had nothing to give Jesus, and he met me exactly where I was at that time, and I didn't, uh, I'm, I'm going to cry. I'm just going to warn you. I, I have yet to get through it, even by myself. But Jesus is a real God who has a real relationship with us and really does show up. It's not just a Bible story. It's not just a verse we hear on a Sunday. He actually does have a transformational love that can just rock your world. And I'm going to tell you my story because my world needed to be rocked in a really, really big way. So here it goes. I didn't have a great relationship with my dad growing up. I was possibly a difficult child, (laughs) although I personally thought I was amazing. I do remember feeling loved from a kid. I had great grandparents. My mom loved me. Uh, But I grew up never feeling like I was good enough. I was too fat, too nerdy, and I had zero social skills. Social skills haven't improved much. (laughs) But I'd grown up in church, and looking back, I was really naive to what was happening in the real world. (laughs) 
In high school, I met a group of friends who were not naive and didn't have any qualms introducing me to their world. They smoked and drank and actually had sex while they were in high school. And I was astonished that that was somebody's real life. I'd grown up in church. That was, that was TV that I wasn't allowed to watch. <laughs> but um, I was solely focused on me. And I was looking for one thing in my life. I was looking for love. It was during this time, while I had this group of friends, that I found out a girl can get any guy. All she has to do is trade herself. I waited until I was 18. Uh, and I was in love before I gave up myself. I remember thinking that this was it. This was the guy I was going to marry. This was the guy I was destined to be with. This was the guy who would finally love me. That's all I wanted. We got engaged. Really crappy ring, just so you know. And uh, a few months later, I got pregnant. And life was about to be perfect. Um, I would have a husband who would love me forever. I would have a baby to love. Uh, then it all came crashing down because I miscarried. And that relationship ended and ended really badly. I fell apart over the next couple of years. I was in and out of relationships. And relationships is a nice word for that. <laughs> I traded my body for momentary times of feeling loved. I had programmed myself really well to not need a Mr. Right. I needed a Mr. Right now. I needed five minutes. I didn't need you for more than that. <laughs> it was a camel. <laughs> I can take just a little bit and subsist on this till the next one. Um, when I met my first husband, life did not get better. It was a bad choice. It got worse. That marriage ended really quickly. But I went back to him over and over and over for years because he loved me like he married me. Of course, I couldn't get past that. I just wanted those moments where I felt loved. And my life became a pattern. I was lost, and the hunger for what I wanted never left me. I just craved it. I just wanted to be loved. After a few years of being back in church, still felt really empty inside. I started asking God to bring me a man. I prayed for the perfect man. He had lots of muscles <laughs> and was really attractive. And the list just kept going on, completely shallow. But it was going to be the perfect man. He never came, though. My life just got more and more complicated and more and more messy. And then, thankfully, God showed up and met me exactly where I was at. At church one Sunday, I noticed a guy I'd met a few times throughout the year and thought, hey, this is going to be a fun distraction. <laughs> my grandma had just died. My life was in chaos. And I thought, oh, here's my next fix. <laughs> we started talking, and eventually he asked me out. He asked me to dinner. And about four hours before we were supposed to go out, I called him and said, hey, I can't have kids. So if you want kids, I'm not the person for you. You need to call it off now. I don't want to, if that's what you want, we can't go out. He thought about it for about two seconds, said, I want kids. We're not going to go out. I was crushed. Um, he canceled our date, and I was upset. But this pattern was something I was used to. A glimmer of hope, of happiness, like, oh, this could be the one. And then just heartbreak. 
few hours go by, he called me back. I almost didn't even answer. <laughs> he told me he'd thought about it. He would like to get to know me anyway. We'd cross those roads when we got to it. So we went on a friend date, which if you don't know what that means, I was in a hoodie and sweats. I had no makeup on, and I did not brush my hair. I showed up being as attractive as possible. Sup? <laughs> so uh, in case that didn't get your attention, I was like, oh. So we talked, and we hit it off. I started praying, something I hadn't really prayed before. But God, I need you to shut the door. If this isn't him, I can't do this. I can't get my hopes up. I can't, I can't try. He's a good guy. I just can't go through it. So waiting for God to shut the door is a really hard space to be in, especially when you know what you've got for him to shut the door on. So one day I'm in the shower, and I hear big voice, yes. Instantly thought my brother was just being a jerk. <laughs> so I'm running downstairs in a towel. Josh, shut up. Like, what are you doing? Nobody's home. So I'm gr great. Now I'm crazy. <laughs> Thinking through it, I finally was like, okay, maybe I'll ask God. God, are you saying yes? Regardless, I'd never heard God say yes to me before. <laughs> Definitely had never heard yes to a relationship. And, uh... So I got an overwhelming sense of, yes, I'm saying yes. And I was like, okay, God said yes. So in my typical fashion, I threw myself full force into our relationship. Luckily, he did too, and 12 days later, we got married. <laughs> uh, life would be perfect now, right? Uh, we got married, and life was great. And I'll tell you, my life is still great. But great doesn't mean easy. <laughs> Matt and I come from very different backgrounds. We were raised very differently, and we've made very different choices before we got together. One of the best parts of marrying my husband is not that he is the man I ever asked for, because he wasn't. He wasn't even close. God gave me... <laughs> Yeah, he, trust me, I was aiming for the rock, and I don't know. <laughs> Luckily, God's smarter than I am. But I will tell you, the best part about my husband is that he is so much more than I ever could have asked for, and he's so much more than I ever thought I was worth or that I could deserve. And our relationship changed me in so many ways. I can't even tell you. I don't even understand it half the time. If you knew me before, I'm a little bit nicer now. Not much, but a little bit. But the one thing that my husband has proved to me over and over and over again is that he loves me. And I love that. And I'm super insecure half the time. Hey, do you love me today? I asked him after first service, do you still love me? He was like, yes, but what he helped me to really see had nothing to do with my husband loving me. It had to do with what God wanted me to know about him loving me. God has always loved me. He has always had a plan for me. My worth has never been in what I had to give someone, but what God gave me, who I am in him. My worth is in who he says I am. And I've been that woman that PD talked about. I've been judged publicly. I've been judged privately. I've literally been at the point where, God, this is all I have. 
I'm worthless. I've traded every piece of myself for something that only he could give me. But the best part about redemption is you can't be perfect to be redeemed. And God took that and he gave me an incredible life, an incredible gift that shows me every day that I am worth it, that I am who he says I am, which is loved. Anything else, my past, my future, I am loved by my creator. And we're gonna hear this song because when God says you are loved, there's no way to argue with that. So listen to this. It's amazing.
first service, I was just overwhelmed by the love of God. I feel the same thing here today. Just second service, just that God would love this church this much to send these musicians in our lives. He, I don't know about you guys, but the presence of God is so strong. And I uh, was talking to Beck in the, before the first service and just saying, what are you hoping to accomplish today? And she said, I just hope my testimony can help people not make the same mistakes that I've made. And I, I want that too, but my heart is, if you have made those mistakes, you know you, there's forgiveness. If you made those mistakes, God can remove your shame. You don't have to carry it with you anymore. I'm telling you, we serve a mighty, loving, caring, kind God who cares about you with everything within his power. So if I can have every head bowed, every eye closed, there was one last scripture. This is my prayer, Ephesians 3. This is Paul's prayer, and I'm I'm just going to read it. He said, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That is my heart for us, that we'll know the depth of God's love with every fiber of our beings. With every head bowed, every eye closed, now let me just say this. If you need the love of God in your life, if you need to get rid of guilt, you need to get rid of shame, it starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ or it starts coming with coming back to him. And if that's you this morning, you're not here by accident, but you need to be able to say, Jesus, that's me. Just like Becca, I need you to come and give me a fresh start. And I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand in just a moment because it takes guts to serve God. It takes guts. Say, Lord, I give it all to you. So if that's you this morning, you need Jesus in your life, raise your hand high right now and say, that's me. I need Christ in my life. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Come on, nine. Come on, this is a good day. All right, I might have missed some, some hands there, but Jesus sees them, all right? So here's what we do here. We pray by faith. We believe in our heart, pray it by faith, and you come into the family of God. But here's the good news. We all pray it together. Say this with me. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life and be my Savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my king. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen.
Come on. Now, if you need healing for anything, whatever it might be, we're going to sing just for a few more minutes. If I can have altar workers come up. If you gave your life to Christ, come up and tell somebody. Confess it. Say, I gave my life to Jesus. And you can't make God more proud than that. Let's sing. Let's get some healing.